Welcome to Pharma Talk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. I'm delighted to share a session from the Patients as Partners in Clinical Trials Europe 2019 event about designing a phase two trial with patient involvement, featuring Dr. Natasha Radcliffe of Parkinson's UK, Kate Trenum of UCB, and patient advocate Elaine Sutcliffe. The session is called UCB and Parkinson's UK working together to improve a phase two trial through patient involvement, a pharma advocacy case study. The Patients as Partners Europe 2020 conference takes place January 27th and 28th in London. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, hi, everyone. Thank you for um, joining us today. And on behalf of the three of us, I'd like to say thank you to the organisers for inviting us to, to speak at this session. Um, so today we're going to share some learnings with you um, from a collaboration between Parkinson's UK and UCB um, and people affected by Parkinson's um, to look at... Um, we were working together to improve um, a phase two clinical trial. Um, so before we kick off, we just wanted to briefly introduce ourselves. So I'm Natasha Ratcliffe. I'm the Research Involvement Manager at Parkinson's UK. Um, and in my role, I um, coordinate our, the charity's patient and public involvement program. Um, so this is really about bringing together researchers from across academia and industry um, to work together with, with people affected by Parkinson's to help improve research. Hi, I'm Elaine Sutcliffe. I have Parkinson's. I was diagnosed about two years ago, 20th of December 2016. Um, at that point, I had no knowledge of Parkinson's and I don't have any family history of that. Good morning, everyone. As uh, Lode said, I'm Kate Trenum from uh, UCB Pharma, and quite clearly I owe Lode uh, um, thanks for the job that I've got now. But uh, I work as a, a patient advocacy lead across the UK and Ireland, and uh, part of my role is to reach out to patient groups to really understand uh, where we might align and look at potential projects that we could deliver together to ultimately um, deliver greater patient outcomes. Okay, thanks both. Um, so what we'll be covering today, um, we just wanted to share with you how the collaboration came about um, and you know, where, where our objectives from, from um, each of us. Um, we'll share a bit about what we actually did and how we, how we developed this together, um, some of the benefits and impacts um, of the collaboration. And we also want to touch upon some of the challenges that we faced and um, the, the kind of solutions that we worked through through these. Um, and we'll finish off with just some practical tips for, for how um, we think that industry and patient organisations can, can work together. So um, before we actually get into the collaboration itself, we really wanted to outline how the collaboration came together because this is, when you look at it, you think a workshop and you sort of think, well, so what? That's not exactly innovative. But where the innovation came from was the fact that we, we developed this together. It wasn't one organisation approaching the other. It was more a realisation of a number of conversations that we identified that we could deliver more together and that we would look to, to work on different projects. So actually, what, why was Parkinson's UK wanting to get involved in the collaboration, Tash? Yeah, so, so for us, Parkinson's UK is a, it's a research and support charity. Um, and so everything that we do as an organisation is driven by people affected by Parkinson's. They're involved in, you know, setting our priorities, our strategies. We work with them closely, you know, on a daily basis. And so 
for us, really, the key, one of the key drivers was the fact that people affected by Parkinson's had said to us that we need to do more to improve collaboration in Parkinson's research. Um, and we need to, you know, be a leader in bringing together key, key stakeholders in the field. Um, and so in 2017, we actually reached out to our research support network, which is a network of um, people, mainly people affected by Parkinson's. Um, and we reached out to them to ask them what their views were on the pharmaceutical industry because we wanted to better understand what, what they thought of, you know, how we could be working with industry. Um, and really interestingly, 90% of the people that responded said that they wanted Parkinson's UK to be working with industry. Um, and 60% said that actually they wanted the opportunity to, to speak with industry and have their say and to share their experiences to, to better Parkinson's research. Um, so for us, we really recognised that, you know, there was an opportunity for us and actually we really needed to do more in, you know, working with industry and, and bringing stakeholders together. Um, so for me, it was all about uh, a meeting that I had. I was about six months into the job and I went over to our research uh, team, our scientists over in Bren in Brussels, and there I, I listened to some of the challenges and barriers that they were facing in developing clinical trials. And there was an absolute desire to get uh, closer to those with the condition so that they could really truly and deeply understand the needs of those living with the condition. And also to design a trial that the participants would want to be in because they could see that the results could actually improve their, their quality of life. What was it like for you, Elaine? From my perspective, it was innovative. It, I, um, I needed to be seen by pharma so that they could actually recognise the diversity of the condition that they were trying to help. I think with this approach, it makes clinical trials accessible and meets the needs of all parties involved. Thank you. Right, so... Um, sorry, can you go on? Oh, yes. So... What we want to do today now is we, we did talk about uh, a number of initiatives that we could work together within Parkinson's UK, and in fact, we do have a couple that we're working on currently. But for today, we wanted to concentrate on this collaborative workshop, this patient involvement workshop. And it was really reaching out to those living with early stage Parkinson's, and we wanted to understand from them what it was like to go through a clinical trial generally, and then more specifically, what, what, what perhaps we could put in place to make this uh, phase two clinical trial better for those participating in it and also for, um, you know, to have a better result from, from industry as well. So, Tash, could you take us through some of the planning that went into the workshop? Yeah, so there were obviously lots of, um, a lot of stages involved in, in developing the workshop, so um, we just wanted to kind of give a practical overview of, of how we actually how we actually did this. Um, so firstly, the, um, the project was led by um, Kate from UCB and my colleague Claire, Claire Nolan from Parkinson's UK. Um, and the two leads really worked very closely together um, to, to develop this. It was developed over six months, um, so it was a long time like in the planning. Um, and there were some of our colleagues from research communications involved as well from the Parkinson's UK side. And I think really crucially from UCB, um, we also worked very closely with the scientific team, the research team that were actually conducting the trial. And I think this was really crucial for um, the, the success of the workshop. And it really helped ensure that, you know, we, we were asking the right questions, getting the insights that the researchers needed to inform the trial. 
Um, we also worked with an independent involvement consultant um, who had really lots of experience in delivering this kind of workshop and working with people affected by health conditions. Um, so this ensured that right throughout the process when we were, we were planning, planning the workshop and um, she was also there to facilitate the workshop on the day, this really helped ensure that it was you know, designed um, appropriately for, for people affected by Parkinson's. Um, we also um, worked with a scientific writer who captured recordings, discussions on the day and produced a report. Um, and in, um, you know, obviously in the planning, we had to kind of start off by, as Kate touched upon, what, what the objectives were, but also then we had to think about, right, what do we actually want to focus on for the day? Because, you know, there's obviously so many elements that we could pick up on. Um, and it was really crucial to, to work with. There was lots of back and forth with um, the scientific team in particular on what questions, you know, should we be asking? How are we going to get um, the information that, that you need? What things should we be focusing on here? Because, you know, we had the workshop itself. I think we had five hours from, you know, start to finish, and that included breaks and things like that. So, um, yeah, we wanted to make sure we were making the most out of that time. Um, of course, we had to decide on an appropriate venue um, for, for the kind of meeting that we wanted, so there was some scoping around this. Um, the criteria for participation in the workshop was something that um, we had a lot of conversation about. Um, the trial itself was um, going to be for people um, who had been diagnosed with Parkinson's in the last two years. Um, and so we initially were, wanted the, the criteria to, to be similar so that we were getting a representative sample of people in the room. Um, we also wanted to invite people along who did have experience of, of clinical trials to get that perspective, but also people who hadn't, hadn't actually taken part in a clinical trial. Maybe they'd taken part in other kinds of research, but it was important to get that perspective as well and understanding um, to inform inform the design of the trial. And as Kate mentioned, this was, um, we've got a number of, of collaborations um, ongoing with UCB, but this was kind of the start of, of that. So um, we had to take um, a significant amount of time to get, to get contracts and, and, and agreements um, sorted. And it was also individual contracts with each of the um, people affected by Parkinson's who, who attended the workshop as well, which took some time to plan. Um, and so one of the, we really did put a lot of time into preparing people once we'd identified um, the people that came to the workshop. So there was 15 people affected by Parkinson's, including two carers. Um, and yeah, we really wanted to make sure they felt, felt prepared um, to, to come um, to contribute on the day. Um, and so to do this, we provided them with some pre-reading materials, um, some information about clinical trials generally, um, because we're aware that some people perhaps they, they didn't really know what a clinical trial was and, and what the, you know, the process is involved in, in clinical research. And um, we also produced a summary of the, um, the, the trial in, in question as well. Um, and that was produced by the, the scientific team from, from UCB um, with some support from Parkinson's UK to ensure that, you know, it was... Um, written in um, appropriate language. Um, we also um, organised some introductory conference calls um, in small groups with the participants. And this was really just to, so that people could just get to know each other beforehand. They could see each other. We used Skype so they could see each other, um, introduce themselves so that on the day people then you know, felt a bit more comfortable coming into a room. Um, they, there were some familiar faces. Um, and yeah, I think that really... That really helped. I don't know if there's anything you want to yeah, say about that. that, that was very helpful. Yeah, um, and also practical information. So getting to the venue, you know, the local transport links and and things like that, which I think are 
you know, they seem like really small bits of, of, of information to provide, but actually it's really important to, to make sure that, you know, you're giving people that practical information so that, you know, they feel comfortable coming come in on the day. And so I'll, I'll now hand over to Kate, who's going to talk about um, the day itself. So as you can see, this took a lot of preparation. In fact, it took, I think, just over six months and uh, a lot of toing and froing, and we're practically on the phone on a daily basis. Um, so the workshop finally took place in the summer of last year, and um, it kicked off with a general question and answer session around trying to discover well, those that had been through clinical trials, what it had been like for them and research, what worked well, what didn't, and why, and trying to dig a little bit deeper into that. But also we wanted to, uh, to understand um, about the clinical trial, the phase two clinical trial itself. Um, so we had Andrea Abbasek, who's the consultant neurologist of the, uh, the clinical team, and she then uh, presented back to the, to the, the group, and they were able to answer, uh, ask any questions that they had and any concerns around uh, the study itself, which led into a really good in-depth discussion. Um, the group then was split into three, and uh, each group had a Parkinson's UK facilitator and also a UCB scientist so that they could answer any questions that they may have about clinical trials generally and then more specifically about this phase two study. And what we were trying to uh, uncover was what really motivates um, patients like uh, Elaine to take part in clinical trials and actually what really detracts them as well. And what information do they want to know which will perhaps encourage them to participate? So we really dug deep into trying to understand that a little bit further from everybody in the room. And it led to an awful lot of uh, information and uh, gathering and, and insights. So then uh, we had a whole load of uh, technology that um, those within the room were able to, uh, to use and to comment on and sort of suggest, no, I wouldn't wear that, or actually, I'd probably need two watches here. So we kind of got a, a little bit more information about what would work and actually what really wouldn't work. Um, and then we, we dug down into the specifics of the actual clinical study itself. And uh, we wanted to really know, we had some interventions here of uh, lumbar punctures, MRI, DAT scans. And so we really wanted to understand what that meant for somebody participating in that. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that a bit later on. Um, and then uh, we talked about um, the drug formulation, the packaging, which quite often is talked about at a later time rather than early on in, in the drug development phase. And that, that was very interesting. And in fact, we're going to take that on uh, further. We're going we're gonna to work with some um, patients further down the line to, uh, to refine that. Um, and we also, as I say, talked about the, the packaging as well, um, which was, was, had some very interesting insights in actual fact. Um, as Tash mentioned, we had a, a medical writer there. And um, within a month or so, they had produced two reports, one to go back to the participants of the trials so that they could understand um, a summary of all the information that was gleaned and how that had impacted on the, on the study design. And then a more scientific uh, report that went back to both Parkinson's UK and also to UCB and the scientists. So, so you saw there was a lot of planning and we actually uh, run the workshop. So what was the impact? I'm sure you want to know what was the impact and the benefits of actually doing this. So when you look at the actual, um, the actual study itself, it definitely informed the design and, and, and the conduct of it. And more specifically, looking at uh, patient study visits, making sure that they were more patient friendly, and equally the, uh, the schedules, making sure that it fits in with um, both the participants' lives and uh, not the other way around. Um, 
we also um, looked at um, the, the, uh, the study risks and um, trying to convey that a, a little bit further. So we, we got more information on that. Um, and it was very clear that perhaps we weren't um, giving the right information to the patients and it wasn't actually perhaps conveyed in the right way. So we talked in depth about actually what might those information leaflets look like. And in fact, some of the information is much better uh, communicated by short video um, snips. I think it, it resonates much better. Um, and there was very, very many other um, sort of areas that we decided to perhaps approach that we hadn't really considered um, previously. And within that, I mean, Elaine was sort of suggesting that uh, it was really important to identify, should things go wrong within a study trial, what happens, you know, and to, to bring that up front and to look at uh, more specifically about the drug itself. They want to know more about it before, um, you know, they engage, and, and quite rightly so. Um, I mentioned about the, uh, the drug formulation, and as I say, we're going to be progressing that further with a, with a smaller group. But interestingly, we were going to be using some smart packaging, uh, which was going to help perhaps track um, the time of which the participants were taking the medication. But actually, they sort of said to us, do you know what, don't bother, um, because in actual fact, we're on this trial, we want it to work, and we will take our medication when we're told to take it. But even so, even if you did give us smart packaging, all we're going to do is we're going to take the medication out of that smart packaging and put it into our dosage boxes anyway. So it was kind of like, ah, okay, there's a bit of a light bulb moment there. Let's not spend money on that because actually it's not going to deliver what it was set out to do. And that's just one example. I can't go through them all, but I think that gives you an example of, uh, you know, some of these insights which might seem quite small but can have a real significant um, savings, actually, for the industry. But equally, you know, we're looking at what it's like for those going through it. Um, and then it, we found out that actually we were publicising it probably in the wrong areas um, because all of those in the room had said, well, I didn't see it on the Parkinson's UK website. And, and we sort of said, well, that's because we d actually didn't publicise it on it. Uh, and then they sort of suggested that they actually looked at the Michael J. Fox Foundation trial finder. And we were thinking, well, actually, we didn't even think about that either. So it really got us to think, actually, where are we targeting um, you know, those that we want to be involved? Perhaps we're not doing it in the right areas. And then finally, everybody said, look, if we're going to go through this, we need to have access to the study drug afterwards. And that, that's 100%. Um, so that, that's fine. So that gave you just a, a few um, I suppose insights as to, to how it impacted on the actual study itself. But, you know, it, it had a, a much wider impact than that. It really had an impact across the whole organization. Now, I work for UK and Ireland, but I was feeding back to the, to the global team about what was going on. And uh, I'm not saying it was just this, but it definitely had uh, an impact when I was talking to the global R&D patient affairs. And now what they're doing is they're setting up patient panels in different uh, condition areas. And these are long-term partnerships with patients and patient groups in research and development, which hasn't occurred before. We had them in, uh, or we do have them, sorry, patient panels in uh, conditions where, we're in, where we have our medications already um, out, but not in R&D. So that's a significant shift forward for us. Um, and also, we've had a restructure of our global patient affairs. In fact, there are two posts currently being advertised for, specifically for patient affairs and R&D. And, you know, if anybody's interested, please do contact us. Um, so as you can see, it had a real impact um, both on the clinical study but also on UCB as a whole. So, um, so that was it from an industry perspective. So what was it like for you, Elaine? From my point of view, it was very empowering to actually meet pharma. Uh, it made us feel like we had some control over our condition. 
Um, lots of people with a long-term condition are very proactive. Um, that's the only thing they can do. They have to do what they can to help themselves. So it's our chance to actually help research go forward. I, and also for me, it was an insight to see how other people were affected by Parkinson's. It's such a diverse condition that everybody is affected differently. And all I know is my Parkinson's, which is different from another person's. Um, we are unrecognised experts through no choice. We have had to be. So use us because we can be of help. Thanks, Elaine. Um, and so for, for us as, as Parkinson's UK, it was um, a huge learning curve the, to, um, to work with UCB in this way and, and to um, have the workshop. Um, as we mentioned, you know, it was the first of um, the start of our collaborations together. So it was a really good opportunity for us to learn about the landscape um, and understand a lot more about, you know, the processes and, and procedures in pharma. Me. Um, and this has actually really helped us. It's really shaped our program moving forward. We're now, you know, in a much better position to be able to um, collaborate with with industry um, moving forward. So, so that's been really brilliant. Um, and I also think for us, this was, you know, a real demonstration of us as an organisation putting our putting our strategy into practice um, at the start of our. Our last strategy period in, in 2015, we said that, you know, we were going to be a leader in, in um, bringing together key stakeholders in Parkinson's research and improving collaboration. Um, and I think, you know, this is an example of, of us doing that. And, you know, it's really helped to, you know, enhance our reputation and, and credibility as, as a leader in, in research and in involvement as well. So, yeah, obviously you can um, hopefully see that the workshop had, had huge benefits, but of course with any kind of um, collaboration like this, the, there was inevitably, you know, some challenges along the way, and so we, we just wanted to share a few of those and, you know, some of the, uh, the solutions to those as well. Um, so I think firstly for, for us as, as, as a charity, it was really important for us to maintain our independence in this collaboration. We wanted this to be a true collaboration and not... Um, a fee-for-service um, arrangement, you know, not UCB coming to us and commissioning us to get insights, which we then fed back to them. It was actually really important that, you know, we worked together in, in equal partnership um, on this. Um, and, you know, related to the, the fee-for-service, as an organisation, we actually don't accept payments from, from industry. So um, that was something which we, we wanted to maintain and we kind of had to really think about, OK, what does this look like um, with, with that in mind? Um, I think something that really helped us to um, maintain that independence was having the um, external patient involvement um, facilitator who, um, as, I, as I said earlier, worked with us to develop the workshops and, and facilitated them on the day. And I think this just really meant that from, from both organisations' perspectives, it was, um, you know, the, it wasn't biased towards, you know, one or the other's objectives, but it was actually really um, about, yeah, collaborating and coming together. And similarly, the scientific writer really, um, you know, they, as Kate mentioned, produced... Um, two reports of the day and, you know, captured the discussions in, you know, an, an objective way, which I think was really important. So, contracts and compliance. There's always a big sigh, I'm afraid, when uh, this comes up. And believe you me, this was a really, really painful process. Um, I think industry is, um, you know, very used to putting together service agreements and uh, perhaps um, supporting with grants. 
there isn't very many examples out there of true collaboration agreements. And when you're talking about developing true collaboration agreements, comes comes with that is shared intellectual property, um, looking at how you're going to publicise what you're doing. Um, and so there's a lot of toing and froing with regards to how this all pans out for both organisations. And in fact, um, you know, myself and Claire, we kind of were the go-betweens between the legal team, which didn't really work out very well because, you know, our skill set does not is not in the legal language and, and jargon. Um, so that was a that was a real challenge. Equally, uh, compliance was a challenge because, um, not surprisingly, if you if you work at, if you don't work within pharma, you don't really understand kind of all the hoops and quite rightly that you should go through um, as part of here within the UK. Uh, the ABPI, uh, which are in place for a very good reason, but actually, you know, working with uh, any kind of collaboration, it does kind of take time, and you need to communicate why this is being done. Um, so there was huge challenges there, and in fact, there was challenges within our own organisation. Um, so it meant that, um, unfortunately, you know, they were treating this phase two like a phase three or beyond. And the, the risks are obviously less with the phase two. And I think there was a degree of education that needed to be undertaken within our own organization. And then finally, the, uh, the individual patient engagement contracts, they were equally a cha challenge, hugely uh, resource intensive to get them right. Um, and doing them for each individual patient um, was you know, quite a challenge. I mean, you know, what was it like for you actually on the receiving end of them? For us, um, we were given very clear information, um, lots of it. Um, the contracts were very clear. However, on the day, it became quite clear that some people had misunderstood the information. Some people had thought that they were coming to the workshop as a selection process to become part of the clinical trial. Um, I think that occurred not because the information was not clear. I think it occurred because all we have as a patient is hope. So everybody had hoped that they would be accepted for the trial and possibly it would slow down their progression. So I think that's how that came about. Okay, thanks, Elaine. So I think, uh, just to summarise, it, it was a very challenging around the, the contracts and compliance. I think, you know, um, with the learnings that I now have, it's, it's really ensuring that you have that understanding from both organisations, what those processes are, um, very much good um, communication and negotiation. Um, you mustn't be rigid, you must be flexible in terms of understanding why a certain clause in the contract is not going to suit that organisation and, and be flexible. Um, and I know that we've talked about this, and everybody always says this for every project, factor in time. It, it just took so much longer than one anticipated. Um, yeah, and I think an another thing that was um, perhaps a bit more challenging than, than we thought was actually finding, you know, the right participants to, to come to the workshop. Um, you know, we, um, as I mentioned, there was some criteria around the, the trial, which we wanted to kind of stay as close as possible, but we actually took the decision to extend the... Um, criteria. So we invited people along who have been diagnosed with Parkinson's within within five years. And as Elaine mentioned, I think this actually led to perhaps a bit of confusion around you know what people were were there for and their expectations. So um, that was certainly a huge learning curve for us in terms of the information that we provide beforehand. We th we thought we'd made it you know clear, um, and I think for some people it was clear. But again, just really to to make sure for us that in the future, as well as stating what you know, the workshop is and what the purpose of it is, being really clear about what it isn't and actually, you know, um, making sure that, pe that people understand that. So I think that was important. Okay. 
Um, so just to, to wrap up, we just wanted to finish off with some kind of, um, yeah, some, some top tips, practical tips for this kind of um, collaboration. So as Kate mentioned, it takes time and you really have to, you know, put, put the time in and put the work in. Um, um, and so I think also having, you know, dedicated um, leads from, from each organisation was, was really key to this to this working out. Um, Two-way feedback, you know, across the whole process is, is really essential, you know, good um, communication and, as Kate mentioned, kind of negotiating things along the way is really key. Um, something for us, I think, um, we kind of related to the, you know, um, perhaps a misalignment in expectations was maybe we could have worked with um, a small group, one or two people affected by Parkinson's to actually plan the workshop to make sure that, you know, we hadn't, we hadn't overlooked anything there. Um, as Kate mentioned, you know, developing long-term um, partnerships is something that I think has, you know, kind of come out of this as, again, maybe that's another way that we can um, really um, further these relationships. And thinking broadly about, you know, how to communicate with, with um, people affected by health conditions in, you know, different ways and at different time points, thinking about um, how you're going to, you know, are you going to talk to them via email, um, inviting people to join video calls and things like that, I think is, um, is really key. So, Elaine, you just want to um, share your short yeah, final certainly. thoughts on the day? Here are some points from people after the workshop. They were all very positive. It was a very well-organised day, and we had no idea of the preparation required to actually organise it. Um, from our point of view, we can't understand how good research can continue without the participation of patients. With this participation, it would lead to the best research model for all parties. Okay, thanks, Elaine. So, um, I think this, this slide really sums it up. Um, <laughs> it is a challenge, undoubtedly, but it is absolutely worth it. It's worth it from Elaine's point of view as the patient, from um, TASH as the uh, patient organisation, Parkinson's UK, and it's absolutely worth it from industry. So this is a journey, and we're all on it together, and uh, thank you very much for your time. Good morning, thank you. Uh, Paul Humphrey from Biomarin. Thanks very much for an interesting talk. Um, we work in rare diseases and have, have had a similar approach to yourself with panels to inform our clinical programmes. One challenge we've had is to find a representative panel for a global study. And I wonder if you'd just like to comment on how representative a UK panel might be on a global study. Yeah, so the, um, the patient panels that I mentioned moving forward are global. So um, we've actually got representations from patient groups and patients um, across in, um, the, the whole... Well, in fact, this one's a European one, so across Europe. This particular one was, I suppose, piloting it um, just to try and understand um, how it would work between uh, a true collaboration between um, Parkinson's UK and uh, the organisation. But yes, moving forward for R&D, it really needs to be either European or global. And also, just to add to that, we also do work closely with um, other organisations. So, for example, Parkinson's Foundation in the US. So, and we're actually collaborating with UCB with them um, on another project as well. So, I think there's also, you know, opportunity with a lot of patient organisations to link with, um, yeah, equivalents in, in other countries as well. Um, yeah. So, I had another question, Vanessa. Sorry. Yes, Vanessa Pot from Merck. 
Um, I was having a conversation just last week with a patient organization about a similar concept. And the question that they put to me that I would now like to put back to you, Tash, is um, how do you avoid setting up this model, which is very time, in, um, time involved and requires a lot of resources on your end, individually for, for different companies. Um, clearly this was about a specific trial, but I'm sure from what you were saying that there are also benefits that would really go across different company initiatives. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good question and something that we're really mindful of is that you know we've got this huge range of insights from people and we don't want to, in a year's time, be inviting the same people along to, to answer the, the same questions. And I think you know for us as... Um, as a patient organisation where there's a job for us to do there in terms of making sure that when we're setting up contracts, we have that flexibility to be able to share that information with you know, other organisations, you know, not specifics about the trial, but when there's, for example, in this, we had a, a conversation about lumbar punctures and that revealed some you know, really interesting points and you know, we want to be able to share that. Um, with not just with the Parkinson's community, but you know, if other companies are coming to us and asking similar questions, we can say, well, actually, we've already got those insights. Here's what we gained from, you know, a previous workshop that we had. Um, so yeah, I think that's something that we need to be mindful of in in this kind of collaboration. Absolutely. The 2020 conference takes place January 27th and 28th in London. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. Thanks, everyone.